Today is our last episode of this season, the end of the Protestant Reformation. How did the Reformation end? Well, with the Thirty Year War, of course. All right, welcome back to this week's Church History. Now, I actually have a little bit of a cold, and yesterday I really didn't even have a voice at all, so we're doing a lot better today, but I apologize if my voice sounds a little off this morning. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that if you're looking for a voiceover artist for your YouTube channel or audiobook series, check out my website. In fact, if you tell me you are a Church History fan, and a listener, I will give you a deal for my voiceover work. Also, if you're looking for a speaker at your church, I would love to help you. I'm starting back up with that as churches are opening, and I have bookings now in October. So I would love to hear from you. You can see more about the topics I speak on at laureleesiemens.com. So we're coming to an end of the Protestant Reformation. There are so many more stories of amazing people that I have not covered, but We could stay in the Reformation for years if I told all of their stories. Before we dive into today's episode, let's review this season. As the Roman Empire fell, shocking the world, a new empire took its place, the Holy Roman Empire. Sometimes in history, we call it the HRE. So whenever you see the HRE, it's talking about the Holy Roman Empire. Instead of Roman senators, we have HRE bishops. Instead of a Roman Empire, we have the HRE Pope. Instead of Roman slaves, the feudalism state came in. The church became the educated elite, and the peasants, who were 90% of the population, did all the labor. And the lives of the peasants were terrible. If they survived childhood, which was a miracle in itself, they would probably die from a plague or be sent to war and die there. The little money that you did make was taken and given to the church to build beautiful castle-like cathedrals, or pay for artwork, or support the lavish lifestyle of the Pope and the bishops. And if you didn't fall in line with the church, you might face the Inquisition. That could end with you being tortured or even killed. The peasants could not read the Bible themselves, The Bible was only available in Latin, and not the language of the common people. So basically, the church was the exact opposite of everything that Jesus taught. But through all of this, there was still a remnant, a few men and women of God who still believed the truth. And these men wrote books and preached the truth and paid the price with their life. And then, a man named Martin Luther read the Bible, and God opened his eyes and he saw the truth. He was just the start. Then came the printing press and translations of the Bible in their own language, and the message grew. The church began to lose its power, and that made them crack down even harder. People protested the church, the feudal system, and the government in general. The protesters became known as Protestants and the Protestant Reformation. Small wars continually broke out, between the Protestants and the Catholics, and finally, in 1555, there was a peace of Osberg. The leaders of the Christian countries got together and decided that whoever was ruling the country got to pick the faith of that country. 
So if you had a Catholic king, you were forced to be Catholic. And if you had a Lutheran king, you had to be Lutheran. They also decided no one could be Calvinist or Anabaptist. Well, that went pretty well for about 54 years. Of course, unless you were a Calvinist or an Anabaptist. But what would happen if a country had citizens that were all of one faith and a king that was of the opposite faith? Well, that happened in a place called Bohemia, present-day Czech Republic. The people of Bohemia were mostly Protestants. The ruler, in 1609, created something called an Order of Tolerance. That meant that everyone would be allowed to worship God the way they wanted, and the government would be tolerant of that. We talked about this last week with the Hudsonites. The Anabaptists moved to this area during this time. But then, in 1617, his cousin Ferdinand took the throne. Ferdinand was a Catholic, and he decided the tolerance idea was bad, and he ended it. Ferdinand sent a group of delegates to the leadership in Bohemia to let them know they all had to convert to Catholicism. It did not go well for the delegates. Imagine it's May 23rd, 1618. You are a worker. Your job is to pick up the little presents left behind it by the horses, also known as horse manure. Your wagon is quite full at this time, and you stop to take a break. You hear something above you, men shouting. Clearly, something is happening. You stop and look up. About 70 feet in the air, a window is open, and you can hear the shouting. You walk back away from your wagon so you can see better. The shouting is getting louder, and then figures appear at the window. Suddenly, a body comes flying through the window. You want to scream, but nothing comes out of your mouth. The body lands directly in your wagon. And before you can even react, a second body is flying through the air. The men thrown through the window land in your wagon, covered in horse manure. They are badly injured, but they survive. You don't realize it, but you have just witnessed the start of a war that will last 30 years. It will cover what is today Europe, and it will kill 1.7% of the world's population, and in some areas, more than 60% of the population will die. It will kill more people than the American Civil War and the Napoleon Wars combined. It will redraw maps, give countries their independence, and end the rule of the Holy Roman Empire. But right now, there's just men lying in a pile of horse manure. That really was how the Bohemians reacted to the decree that they had to convert to Catholicism. They threw the council out the window, and they really did land in a pile of horse manure after falling 70 feet, and they really did survive it. The Catholics claimed it was angels that saved them, and the Protestants claimed it was the horse manure that saved them. Either way, the Bohemian Revolt had started, and that is the start of the Thirty Years' War. Ferdinand realized he was going to need some help conquering the Protestants and sent a message to his cousin Philip IV of Spain. Now, Philip IV was also Catholic, and he really wanted to take control of the Dutch. 
His idea was that if he helped his cousin Ferdinand, then Ferdinand would help him conquer the Dutch. So he was in. The Bohemian people were in trouble. They had the Holy Roman Empire and Spain attacking them. They needed help. So they sent letters to all the Protestant countries asking for help. They offered each of them to be the king. Now the thing about a deal like that is that it only works if you only offer it to one country. Austria, who was the main part of the Holy Roman Empire, found out about these letters and had them all sent to each country. Once the countries learned that they were all offered the same deal, they all backed out, and Bohemia was left with no allies. 1619, Frederick V was named the King of Bohemia, and on November the 8th, 1620, Frederick and Ferdinand went to war. At the Battle of White Mountain, Ferdinand easily conquered Bohemia. Suddenly, people began to take notice of what was happening with the Holy Roman Empire, and they began to take sides, depending if you are Catholic or Protestant. This is the end of what we call Phase 1 of the Thirty Year War. It's important to notice two things about this part of the war. One, it was definitely a religious war. Two, it was a local war. While other countries were talking about the conflict, the conflict stayed in Bohemia and the Holy Roman Empire. But Denmark was paying attention, and they were not happy the Holy Roman Empire had defeated Bohemia. Christian IV was a Protestant king of Denmark, and he was very worried about the Holy Roman Empire. So Denmark convinced England, Scotland, and the Dutch to join them and fight the Holy Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire was now Austria and Bohemia, since Bohemia had been conquered, and they were joined by Hungary and Croatia. In 1625, Denmark's armies attacked the Holy Roman Empire and lost. It seemed that in the war between the Catholics and the Protestants, the Catholics kept becoming the winners. Once again, Phase 2 was still a war based on religion, and it took place inside the territories of the Holy Roman Empire. But all of that was about to change. That's when we get into what is called Phase 3, or the Swedish Phase. The Swedish king was a man named Gustav Adolphus, also known as the father of modern warfare. In 1630, he joined the war, and his ideas of war changed everything. Gustav made his cannons movable, and they were not built on site, but instead could be moved from battlefield to battlefield, and could be moved to different locations in a battle. This was world-changing in war history. And this mode of warfare was accepted and used by more countries, and war changed from this point on. World War I changed history with the use of warplanes and tanks, and World War II with the atomic bomb. But it was this war, the Thirty Year War, that brought the movable cannons. But World War I and World War II is still 300 years in the future. Now, with the Swedes fighting, something else happened that changed the Thirty Year War. France got involved. Now, France was a very strong Catholic country, but they backed the Swedes, who were a Protestant country. Why did that happen? Well, at this point, the war stopped being a religious war and became a war on the balance of power. The Holy Roman Empire had easily defeated the Bohemians and the Denmark armies and the threat made them very powerful. 
France, who was also Catholic, didn't like the idea of another military being that powerful. So France thought it would be a great idea if the Holy Roman Empire could lose this war. But they didn't want to actually fight the Catholics since they were Catholics themselves, so they funded the Swedish army. And the Swedes under Gustav were amazing. The Catholics had finally met their match. Until November the 6th, 1632, Gustav dies in the battle. The Swedes were rocked by his death. France realizes they're going to have to get involved in the war, and they send in the troops. This is the fourth and final phase, the France phase. At this point, the war is no longer a religious war. It is also, by this point, a continental war. Everyone is involved, and the lines are no longer based on religion. It's about control and power. During this phase, things got really bad. On top of the war, there was really bad weather, and most of the crops failed. That brought a famine. People didn't trust anyone, and with that came witch hunts. Instead of seeing the bad weather as a natural occurrence, the wins and losses of a battle as a result of poor leadership, they blamed witchcraft and began to hunt for witches. In our next season, we're going to be talking about the New World and what was happening there during this time period. But as a side note, the Salem witch trials which were held in the New World happened in 1692, just 60 years after the massive witch hunts we're talking about right now. These hunts were vicious. Women especially were tortured, and the torture would not stop until they confessed. Many were killed. The last woman to be killed for being a witch was in 1775. On top of the witch hunts, there were mass hangings. Pictures drawn from this time shows trees with people hanging on every branch. It was a brutal time to try and live. Then came the sack of Mannenberg, perhaps the worst historical war story, and one we should all know about. Magdeburg was a German Protestant city. It was the largest city in Germany. Just for a minute, think of the largest city in your province or state, if you're a North American listener. Imagine that this happens in that city. The city had 25,000 people living in it. The Holy Roman Empire demanded they pay a tribute or a tax to the Catholic Church. The people refused, since they were mostly Protestants. The Holy Roman Empire then sent their army to surround the city and not allow anyone to enter or leave. That lasted for two months. And then came the worst day in the Thirty Year War, May 20th. 40,000 men marched into the city. Remember, this is a city of 25,000. So 40,000 men marched into a city that had only 25,000 people living in it. They began to burn houses or enter homes and kill or take the children to be tortured or sexually abused. The soldiers looted and burned the city, and at the end of the day, of the 25,000 citizens, only 5,000 were still alive. The next morning, the army went into the cathedral and held mass, then started the task of taking the dead and throwing them into the river. 
During this time, many of the survivors fled the city. By the time the conflict was completely over, of the 25,000 people, only 449 were left to rebuild the city. Think about that and hear it again. By the time the conflict was complete, of the 25,000 people, only 449 were left to rebuild the city. The final phase of the 30-year war was full of horror stories like this. It was beyond brutal. Without any bombs, planes, or tanks, 1.4% of the world's population was killed. This was no longer a religious war or a local war. It covered Europe, and there was no place to escape, except, of course, the New World, which we will cover over the next few weeks. Eventually, a truce had to be called. The war just got that brutal. In 1648, the truce was finally announced. The treaty weakened the Holy Roman Empire. It gave the Dutch its independence. The area that would become Prussia gained territory. France gained more land. And the Swiss became an independent nation. More than that, there was the acceptance of a new era. One with freedom of religion. This would become the culturally accepted idea. Religion and politics began to separate, and most historians call this treaty the end of the Protestant Reformation. Next week, we're going to be looking at what was happening in the New World, and we're going to look especially at the Dutch. You are not going to want to miss this amazing story. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you could leave five stars and a review, that would be great because it will help more people be able to find this podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, then share it with a friend. In the meantime, if you want to hear more podcasts or watch some of our videos or read the blogs, then check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. And I will see you next week. 